0: For so many of us, you come out to those you love, right? But then you're forever coming out to to Mm. coworkers, to doctors, to, like, it's a lifelong process of constantly coming out to new people and constantly deciding whether you're safe to share that piece of information with somebody new in your life. And so having the right tools and being confident in who you are is a big part of that process. And, and being able to navigate that successfully, I think. Um, and, and and cultivating that affirming community around you that grounds you so that no matter what, help, what happens on the peripheral outside, you've got that core on the inside that's keeping you grounded.
1: Take it slowly. This book is dangerous. Fox sucks. Box Knocks Knocks in box And Fox in socks Knocks on Fox And socks in box Socks on Knocks And knocks in box Fox in socks On Box on knocks. Checks with bricks come Checks with blocks come Checks with bricks And blocks and clocks come Look sir, look sir Mr. Knox, sir Let's do tricks With bricks and blocks sir Let's do tricks With chicks and clocks sir First I'll make A quick trick Brick stack Then I'll make A quick trick Block stack you can make a quick trick, stack. You can make a quick trick, friends.
2: Stack. Welcome back to the podcast, the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 102, and it's part number three of our series uh, for Pride called The Church Has Been Wrong About LGBTQ People. So, we've got a few things going on in this episode. Okay, first of all, uh, our guest today is Amber Cantorna. And this is her second time on the show. Last time she came on, she told us all about her story. Uh, Today, she's coming on to talk specifically about her book called Unashamed. And the subtitle is uh, A Coming Out Guide for LGBTQ Christians. And I'm really excited uh, to share this conversation with you uh, because she talks about a lot of things regarding her work uh, with the LGBTQ community to overcome uh, the shame that has been heaped on them by the church. And then kind of walk them through the coming up process. So I'm excited to share this with you. Lots of good things in here to give you to kind of expand uh, your perspective. So uh, sit tight. Second thing, uh, special music today is wild stuff. Uh, if you heard that opening, that opening song, uh, there's a guy on YouTube called his name is Wes Tank, and um, he does all of these um, raps. Uh, he, like, raps Dr. Seuss books, and we came across him, I don't know, maybe, like, a month ago uh, with Jordan, my daughter. She loves Dr. Seuss books, and so he does, like, Green Eggs and Ham, uh, Fox and Socks, which is, like, a major tongue twister of a book, um, Red Fish, Blue Fish, all, all these different songs, all these different books, and he raps them, uh, and it's just, it's just wild stuff, so... Jordan loves them, and we listen to them sometimes at night, like when we're brushing our teeth or whatever. And so I went on Facebook, and I actually I found him. And um, how did it happen? Oh, that's right. I <laughs> we were reading we were reading Fox and Socks one night, and I made Dana read it uh, while West Tank's song was on. And I said, "Well, you need to rap the song, just like like rap it along with Wes." And she did a pretty good job at it. So I actually uh, tagged West Tank in it and he liked it, and then I friended him on Facebook. He accepted it, and then I said, you know what, let's just message the guy and see if he'll let me use his stuff on the podcast. Why not? And so I did. He got back to me like an hour later. He said, yeah, man, absolutely, and he sent me all the, the files. So uh, we're going to have some, some wild music in this episode. And I actually asked Jordan, uh, my daughter, I said, Jordan, uh, on Daddy's podcast this week, which one of the Dr. Seuss songs uh, should be like the main song that gets played in the beginning and the end. And she said, one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. So that is going to be the next song uh, that you hear. The first one that you heard a little while ago, uh, that was Fox and Socks." So uh, go find this guy. I'm going to put his link um, in the show notes. It's pretty cool. Uh, there's like people going around saying like West Tank is the thing that we didn't know we needed during quarantine days because he is apparently amusing um, a lot of people and a lot of kids. uh, So go check it out. Also in the show notes, uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash whatifproject is a place where you can go to support the show financially. Uh, So if this has encouraged you, inspired you, challenged you in your faith, uh, that is a place where you can go and throw a few bucks at it. There's different tiers, uh, different levels of giving. Every tier gets its own reward of sorts, whether it's a blog post, um, a bonus podcast episode, a book I send you in the mail, all sorts of things. Um, Also, we have the What If Project community, which is a a closed Facebook group where you can go to find other people who maybe like yourself are kind of wandering through the wilderness trying to figure out their faith, asking questions, having doubts, um, wondering about all of the things. It's a safe place to ask your questions, to Share some resources, and uh, we cheer each other on in our own spiritual journeys, so go check that out. And uh, last but not least, uh, the Heretic Shop, which is a uh, shop of sorts online uh, where you can go and buy sweatshirts and uh, T-shirts and stickers and mugs and all sorts of things. We have a whole bunch of stuff in there for pride, and we have a couple of uh uh whole bunch of stuff i don't know there's there's a lot of stuff in there there's a blanket in there which i think might be sold out but it's it's there so you can see it maybe we'll get it back there's backpacks uh there's all all sorts of fun items with sayings and slogans and things on there from the podcast that likely will make at least somebody in your life a little bit upset they they, they help you kick the hornet's nest let's let's put it that way in the way that we sometimes do here um, on the show So all of that to say uh, Like I said, this is episode 102 uh, With my friend Amber Cantorna It's part 3 of our series for Pride The Church Has Been Wrong About LGBTQ people And uh, this song This song This is Jordan's pick uh, West Tanks One fish, two fish Red fish, blue fish The Dr. Seuss classic Enjoy
1: One fish, two fish Red fish, blue fish Black fish, fish Old fish, new fish one has a little star, this one has a little car, Say what a lot of fish there are, yes. Some are red and some are blue, some are old and some are new, some are sad and some are glad and some are very, very bad. some have more where do they come from i cannot say but i bet they have come from a long way Wait, see them come and wait.
2: We... friends welcome back to the podcast uh, today we're sitting down with repeat guest amber cantorna who is joining us for our pride series to talk about some themes revolving around the topic of lgbtq inclusion so amber welcome back to the show it's always great to chat with you
0: thank you so much it's always great to be with you
2: Thank you, so I know we talked about it a little bit before we hit record, but for our listeners, I wanted to ask you how is quarantine life treating you
0: oh you know's been uh, it 's been a ride. My wife has been very grateful to be able to work from home for the majority of this time, and probably will continue for the foreseeable future so that 's been helpful and yep. um, you know we've just we 've taken it very seriously because i 've gotten autoimmune disease and so we 've mm-hmm. been home a lot and um, yesterday was actually the first time that we had seen anybody other than each other in 73 mm. days.
3: Wow. And yeah. so
0: um, we had a social distancing picnic with another uh, couple and in our backyard and everybody wore masks and we were very safe. Mm. And it was just really nice to finally be able to be with friends even if it was from a distance for a short period of time. And That was really refreshing for our souls, and you know, I think we're just taking it today as it comes and doing the best that we can to stay safe and stay sane and support one another through you know something that's unprecedented for all of us.
2: Yeah, we have family too that has immune problems, and it just makes you makes me just feel a lot more aware of what's going on because I feel like if you don't have any proximity to somebody who either has immune issues or has gotten COVID nineteen or something like that, it just doesn't feel I guess it's severe, but I think when you, right. when you know, right. when you have something close to home like that, right, it hits call home them all the
0: more Yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah, for
2: sure. Crazy, crazy time. So uh, for our listeners, if you want to hear more about Amber's story, I would encourage you to go back to, I think it was like early February-ish and check out the episode we recorded where she tells us all about her story, her life, her journey, her coming out experience, so much more. Uh, but today, Amber, I wanted to focus a little bit on your book uh, called Unashamed. And uh, for our listeners, it's subtitled a coming out guide for LGBTQ Christians. And I thought we could kind of gear some of our conversation towards uh, Christians and non-Christians alike who are trying to maybe come to grips with who they are um, as they begin mm-hmm. to identify themselves as LGBTQ and figure out like yeah. what it will look like for them to come out to their family, to their friends, to their churches, um, etc. Now, now you do a lot of work, from what I understand, of supporting people through. Uh, their process of coming out. And so I was wondering, maybe to kind of kick it off, if you could talk to us a little bit about like, what that's been like for you. Like, how did you start doing that kind of work? How do people typically find you if they need help? Like, what does it look like for you to walk with somebody through this, this process?
0: Yeah, well, this work really began out of my own story. Mm. I grew up the daughter of a Focus on the Family executive, I grew up in a very tight Christian bubble that was steeped in purity culture and um, you know, very much focused on everything, you, kind of the epitome of a Christian upbringing, everything that you would expect it to be, right? And I was homeschooled and uh, my mom stayed home. And so my world was just very small. And even though I knew I was different from a young age, I never had the exposure or the vocabulary to be able to figure out that I was gay. Um, I just knew that I was different. I knew that I struggled a lot. I knew that I had a hard time fitting in. And so it wasn't until, and because of purity culture, I didn't date. And so it wasn't until I was really in my early twenties that I started realizing uh, that I was gay. And of course, you know, coming out when your dad works to focus on the family is one of the hardest things you could ever do. (laughs) And it went exactly as you would imagine it to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I haven't had any contact with any of my family in about six years so I've experienced a great deal of loss uh, in the midst of that loss of family loss of relatives, friends um, church you know mm-hmm. my hometown that I grew up in there's been a great deal of loss and yet there's also been such a great deal of joy in being able to be at peace with who I am and be comfortable in my own skin and to rediscover God with new eyes and to realize that God does not uh, look down on me or see me different or have a lack of love for me because I'm gay. Mm. And I think that for so many people that come from a conservative faith background, whether they still claim faith of any kind or not, struggle with this process um, because of what we've been taught to believe about who God is and about who we are in God's eyes. And so that was obviously a very difficult process for me And that's been the focus of my work over the last five or six years: is helping people, specifically from those conservative faith backgrounds, uh, be able to navigate that coming out process successfully, and be able to kind of rewire some of those tapes that we've been taught to play in our heads about who we are.
2: Hmm. I guess it's almost like maybe you want to be for other people what maybe you wish you had. Right. Yeah. And and
0: what wasn't available to me. And you know, we've had a great amount of resources pop up over the last you know, five to 10 years that weren't available even when I was trying to come out. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for the movements that are rising up, Mm -hmm. Um, but we still need more of them, you know, and each person is working kind of in their own niche and their own way to help make a difference for LGBT people. So this is kind of my way of doing that is helping them kind of navigate that coming out process Mm -hmm. and, and be able to love and embrace who they are to the fullest extent. And not only that, but then also working to educate faith leaders and healthcare workers and family members on the importance of full inclusion and why it's so important that they affirm um, other loved ones and their um, their people that come and sit in their pews at church and, and why mm. that's so important and how that relates to suicide rates and um, and self-acceptance and success long-term and that kind of thing.
2: Mm. Now, can somebody just kind of go online and and find you? Like maybe one of our listeners is listening and maybe they're in this process of trying to figure things out. Like can they, can somebody go and find you? Do typically people find you by having your name passed around. Like, what does that look like?
0: Yeah. I mean, I've got a website. They can find me, ambercantorna.com. Um, They can find me on social media at Amber N as in Nicole, Amber N Cantorna across all platforms. And I think, you know, I think it happens in different ways. Sometimes people will just sit down and like, google gay christian or right. google you know they'll hear something about my name being associated with focus on the family and mm. gay you know daughter of focus on the family you know that's kind of right. how people the google know terms me more that fight right yeah. <laughs> yeah right but you know sometimes it's uh, through word of mouth sometimes they hear me on a podcast like what we're doing today sometimes they come across my books on amazon and uh, you know we're working hard to try and uh, get people to review affirming books books more because we really want those people who are looking for resources to find affirming resources before they find non-affirming ones. Mm. And so I'm always encouraging people to write a quick review of not just my book, but any affirming book that they read because that really helps people who are still searching for answers find positive, messages Mm. first before they find the negative ones and so those are ways sometimes people will just sit down and google gay christian into into amazon and my books will pop up and Mm. there's a variety of ways that people kind of find me i think whether it's through word of mouth or just through sheer desperation behind their own computer screen in the privacy of their own home you know yeah and however they come to me i'm always grateful that they've that they have found me and and honored to help do what i can to give them the right resources and help walk them Um, in the right direction
2: so they could be as successful as possible. That's awesome. Now, I know like every story obviously is different. Every person's story is different, but can you give us like maybe like a snapshot look of what, like what does it look like when somebody comes to you and they're trying to figure out what it's going to look like for them to come out? Like where where do you, what's the conversation begin? Like how does it begin? Like where do you typically maybe point them to start with?
0: Well, I think First, most of them just want to be seen and to be okay. heard, yeah. uh, because they feel so isolated. You know, when you've grown up in that small Christian bubble, uh, specifically evangelical, that has taught you that who you are is an abomination and hateful to God, and you're going to hell forever.
3: Yeah,
0: you feel so isolated and alone in that journey, um, because you know that if you tell anyone in your circle, they're gonna they're gonna either uh, reject you or they're gonna try and get you into something like conversion therapy yeah and so your your options are very limited so it's a very isolating place to be especially if you don't realize that there's so many resources available to you you know for me when you're steeped that deep in in the bubble you have no idea like i didn't even know being a gay christian was a thing yeah you know or being an lgbtq person of faith was a thing Mm. um that was totally polar opposites in my world that could never coexist And so I didn't even know that, like, really even know to Google that or know to search for that or know to, you know. And that is very much on the rise right now where people are getting more access to those resources, but a lot of times they just are so relieved to finally find somebody with a story like theirs that they can relate to. Uh, Often when people read my first book, Refocusing My Family, they'll tell me, like, I feel like I was reading my own story, like this is my life in a book, you know? Mm. Um, Or uh, this book saved my life because it it was the first thing that I could actually relate to and felt like I was seen and heard and understood. Mm. And so I think that's the first step is just letting them know that they are seen and that they're not alone. That this journey is one that hundreds and thousands of queer people of faith are taking together, and they just need to tap into the right resources to find that community that will support them, because mm-hmm. they're not nearly as isolated as they may think they are.
2: Yeah, and, I guess, and that, I guess that feeling of not feeling like you're not alone gives you probably gives you courage, right? Gives you maybe more mm-hmm. strength, more courage to absolutely, yeah, yeah,
0: just to mm-hmm. realize. I know the first time that I found out, you know, I found an affirming church in Denver, I was living in Colorado Springs at the time, I found an affirming church in Denver. It was one of the most eye-opening things for me. And I think probably one of the biggest tools that propelled me forward into coming out was the day that I went to that church for the first time and saw that it was possible to both love a partner or a spouse of the same sex Mm -hmm. and love God and not have any of that conflict in between. Mm -hmm. The day that I saw that, I remember thinking, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And something about seeing it for the first time with my own eyes flipped the switch for me to where I knew it was possible. Mm. And once I knew it was possible, there was no going back. Like I went home that day and wrote in my journal, like I've passed the point of no return. Like there's no going back anymore. I've seen that it's possible and I've crossed that bridge and now I know ready or not, you know, we're moving Mm. forward Mm. because I've seen that it's possible to still love God and be a part of the LGBTQ community.
2: Yeah, so you talk to somebody, you hear their story, um, you share with them your story, they realize that they're not alone. Like, what's the next kind of step, so to speak? Where where do you go next?
0: Well, often for people of faith, people that come from a conservative faith background, they're still wrestling with internalized homophobia or internalized transphobia, Uh because they've been taught that those, they've had those messages Inbred into them that who they yeah, are is inherently sure. bad. And so helping them rewire those narratives is really important and helping them rediscover God and rediscover who they are to God. And so a lot of that for people from conservative faith backgrounds is tackling the clobber passages or the scriptures that are in the Bible that people believe are those that condemn um, same sex relationships. Hmm. And because so many people have been taught that these few verses are the pinnacle of why God hates you as a gay person. And so helping them deconstruct that and look at, you know, there's some great resources that I often recommend that help kind of walk them through some of those, um, those steps of looking at these from a historical perspective, from a cultural perspective, from why they were written, when they were written, and what they meant in the culture at that time. Um, I think David Gushy does a great job of that in his book, Changing Our Mind.
3: Mm.
0: I think Colby Martin does a really good job of that in his book, Unclobber. Um, And then really on the forefront right now uh, is Kathy Baldock's work, and she's Mm. doing uh, incredible research that is unfounded. I mean, nobody else has done what she has done. Sorry, pardon my dog. No
2: worries. Like we said before we recorded, it's quarantine. We're
0: quarantine, now. right? <laughs> it, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Kathy Baldock's work is really, they she's got one book out already hmm. uh, called Walking the Bridgeless Canyon. And really she takes a look on a timeline of how did we get to where we are right now in history and what brought us here from a, not just a biblical perspective, but a historical perspective, a medical perspective, a psychiatric perspective, um, culture-wise, like how did we get to where we are today? And it is a fascinating journey. You know, She does a lot of workshops and stuff. Some of them are up online that you can watch, and I link to them actually on my website because it's just a fascinating journey. And right now they're doing a new project on how the word homosexuality even got into the Bible. Mm. And most people don't know that. It, it, like we think, oh, that's just been in the Bible forever. But it actually wasn't ever in the Bible until 1946, mm. which isn't all that long ago. Yeah. So when you start realizing that and you start seeing how culture shaped where we are today, it is just a mind-blowing mm. journey. I think it helps people a lot of times deconstruct what they were taught. Because um, they just kind of are – if they're like me, I was – I just like a spoon for this theology. And this was just – what you believe and what you do and don't question it Um, because to question your pastor or to question your parents is to question the very authority of God and so you just don't question anything and you just absorb it as truth Um, Mm. but really especially for queer people of faith it's important to to revisit that and to start discovering for yourself why you believe what you believe and rewiring those narratives is a really important part of that so that's often where I end up pointing them first Hmm. is to help, is to resources that will help them deconstruct that theology Hmm. so that they can rediscover um, who they are in God's narrative. Hmm. And then I I would say equally important to that, um, and maybe parallel if not the very next step to that, would be finding affirming community. Um, Because I think that's the other most critical thing that people need to do as they as they come out because again it it reduces that isolation factor it helps them realize that they're not alone it helps them have people around them that are embracing and celebrating who they are rather than um questioning or negating who they are it gives them a place where they can be normal it normalizes their their queerness um, and it gives them just a safe place to be and i think that is extremely critical for people who are coming out and extremely healthy and helpful in the process of coming out. And so, trying to connect them to resources um, where they can find that community, whether it's an affirming church in their area, whether it's um, organizations that they can plug into online, conferences they can attend. Um, really, pointing, you know, a lot of this is pointing them to other people's work as we all work together and, and helping them connect with the right resources so that they can get the big the strongest foundation possible for success.
2: Yeah. I think that's huge. I have a friend who said something along the lines of like all my life I grew up hearing that um, you know people who are gay are going to hell and you know as a gay person like in you know, the way that made me feel but then once he became a part of a affirming community all of a sudden that narrative that was coming at him from the pulpit completely changed.
3: Mm-hmm. That really mm-hmm. helped
2: like rewire all that stuff that was wired in his brain and kind of untangle some things so he could begin absolutely. to. absolutely yeah
0: absolutely yeah it totally changes the way you view yourself the way you view others the way you view god the way you view life and your mm. place in the world and it can bring you into such a healthier place
3: you yeah know? yeah
0: and well. i just i think it's so important for people and sometimes it's just a matter of education too of, of getting the right tools the right resources sometimes it's listening to affirming podcasts or finding musicians that affirm you know lgbt people and, and just finding that kind of holistic approach where you're realizing that the things that you're feeding into your life line up with who you are and line up with your belief system as opposed to constantly being in conflict with that um, because that creates a lot of turmoil and which you know leads to so many negative things for so many people
2: definitely so how does someone know like if they're ready to come out and like i'm thinking specifically again of the person who grew up in a more conservative evangelical setting like maybe that person has known for a long time that they're gay or maybe they have just begun to kind of come to grips with this in their mind maybe they've kept it a secret maybe they're feeling ashamed like what is your advice for that person because i would imagine and i don't know for sure so obviously correct me if i'm wrong but I would imagine that if someone is going to come out, they maybe need to think about things like who they're going to come out to, maybe mm-hmm. emotional like trauma, for lack of a better word, that might affect mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. reaction of people. So like, I guess right. what I'm asking is like, how does someone who has grown up in the church, like we said, hearing all their life that being gay is a sin, how can someone coming from that setting know for sure that they're ready to make this next step?
0: That's really why I wrote Unashamed. That yeah. was really the purpose for for unashamed was helping give them the tools to know when they're ready to come out, mm-hmm. and not everyone has that luxury, right? right Sometimes right. we're forced into a situation where we have to come out. Sometimes somebody outs us before we're ready, and none of those things are okay. You should always have the autonomy to come out when you're ready. Um, but for people, I try to I try to equip them with as many tools to make them as successful as possible with the least amount of collateral damage. Mm. And so to whatever degree they are able to kind of plan these steps ahead of time, I think it's incredibly helpful and will help them be more successful. And so in Unashamed, I kind of take a holistic approach and give them four things to think about, four kind of areas of their life to think about to know whether they're ready to come out or not. Mm. And the first one would be, you know, are you mentally ready? And I talk about the importance of therapy because being able to accept who you are, being able to embrace who you are, being able to reconcile that within yourself yeah. is a big part of what you need to do before you're able to tell other people. Cause you have to be strong enough in who you are
3: mm-hmm.
0: and in loving yourself and in, in, in loving who God made you to be before you can be confident enough to tell other people about that and whether whatever their reaction may be on the other side. And so, you know, I talk about making sure you find a licensed professional that's going to support this journey and help you work through whatever conflict you may feel and, and, and finding things that are therapeutic for you because, you know, a therapist is great, but, you know, other things like yoga are great or going for hikes and walks and journaling. And there's so many ways of working through things that can be therapeutic for people. So I think working through that um, piece mentally is really important. Um, working through things physically, like just the importance of safety and independence. Um, sometimes you have to ask yourself really hard questions uh, that are just a reality because being LGBT in the world is not always safe. And because there are still people who are not affirming. And so you have to know like, do I have reliable income? Do I Am I able to sustain myself on my own? Do I have people who are paying for my education or You know, am I married to a spouse with kids and how is that going to work if I come out? And, you know, there's so many layers to all that. And I think thinking through those things and kind of through those conversations that are to come is a big part of knowing whether you're ready. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any, especially as somebody in high school or in college, there's no need to rush that process. Um, the better you can set yourself up independently and financially, the more successful you will be. Um, because you know, unfortunately, for people who are young, getting kicked out of their house is a real possibility for people yeah. that come from a fir- unaffirming households. Yeah. Yeah. And so, thinking through those things, not being hasty, having a good game plan, making sure you're able to sustain, sustain yourself are are just practical things that. an unfortunate reality of things that we need to consider before we come out yeah um you know thinking about are you spiritually ready have you done the work theologically behind Mm. that to reconcile who you are to god and who god is to you and and be comfortable with that um not that you have to debate theology with other people because i often don't recommend that i don't think it's healthy (laughs) for you to constantly put yourself In this vulnerable place you know um it can often be very very traumatizing to have to constantly defend your existence in the world so i don't often recommend debating theology with other people if they really love you and care about you they can read a book just like you had to right um you know it's not your job to to educate them um but to know for yourself i think is important um to settle that for yourself and deepen your soul and know that you are okay in god's eyes I think is really important for, for a healthy coming out process. Mm. Um, And then, and then the the fourth piece would be, you know, are you emotionally ready? Do you have that inner strength and you do have that community support around you? Um, I think to the best of your ability, if you are able to, to be able to cultivate that community before you come out, I think Mm. that sets you up for the best success post coming out. Not everybody has the chance to do that, but for those who do i think it is really helpful because it helps you weather those storms as you come out of family reactions friends reactions you know if you've got that community support that you can go back to and talk to them and be reaffirmed and process trauma process grief it will set you up for a lot more success than if you have to go home to an empty apartment at night where nobody sees you and nobody understands you know what I mean and so I think that's a very important component to establishing I spent quite a bit of time prior to coming out working on cultivating that community around me before I actually told any of my family Mm. um, because I knew I was going to need them on the other side and I'm so grateful for that I'm I'm so grateful for that
2: yeah I feel like your your work obviously is super important for LGBTQ people but I feel like also for for straight people because like as I was reading Unashamed, you know, I came away feeling like this is so necessary to talk about because this is almost like a world that straight people are completely unaware of. Like for Mm -hmm. me, until I actually became an ally, started to talk to, you know, become friends with more LGBTQ people, I just assumed that when someone came out, they came out. Like and that was just the end of it, you know. But to hear Mm -hmm. the stories of people and to hear the struggles, to hear someone like you who spends so much time with people in this delicate area of their life, like, I wish everyone on earth could hear, like, you share your story, because I think it would make everyone, even the most conservative, evangelical in the bunch, have at least a little bit more compassion, because it's not just as simple and black and white as we might think it is.
0: Well, and as you, you know, to your point of, like, once you come out, you come out. For so many of us, you come out to those you love, right, but then you're forever coming out to, yeah, to coworkers, to doctors, to, like, it's a lifelong process of constantly coming out to new people and constantly deciding whether you're safe to share that piece of information with somebody new in your life. And so having the right tools and being confident in who you are is a big part of that process Mm -hmm. and and being able to navigate that successfully, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And and cultivating that affirming community around you that grounds you so that no matter what helps, what happens on the peripheral outside you've got that core on the inside that's keeping you grounded
2: yeah i guess there's like a lot of pre-work involved right i mean for lack mm-hmm. of a better word like just to, I guess, to cultivate relationships cultivate your own emotional and continual health. work you know yeah. Cause, i
0: mean the people that i had in my life when i first came out um were great and were supportive but they were kind of there for a season and and then there was a season where we just didn't feel like we had much community support at all and it's only been in the last you know, a year or two that we feel like we finally have found some people that could be chosen family for life. You know that yeah. that we could see doing life with for a long, long time. And mm-hmm. but that has taken and been out for eight years, and it's only been in the last year or two that I feel like I've really found that. So it takes mm-hmm. time to really cultivate community on a deep, deep level where you feel like, I, you know, I'm finding my people. These and even then, you're always dealing with different layers and levels of grief and loss because nobody is ever going to be what your family should have been, you know, and so there's always those layers of loss, and it's like, you may not want your family back, because just because you miss that doesn't mean you necessarily want them back, because they're not in a healthy place, and yet you're grieving for what should have been, and never will be, because you can never get those times back, you can, I can never get back the fact that I had no family at my wedding, and my parents were not at my wedding, like, I can never get those days back, you know, Mm -hmm. and so you grieve for those things that should have been, and aren't, and, and never will be, yeah. and that cycle, you know, like, you're always going through layers of that, and processing different layers of that, but having people in your life who, who truly love you unconditionally, and who celebrate you, and who um, see you as chosen family certainly helps in so many ways, in filling, filling those gaps, and, and setting you up for, for loving yourself, and, and succeeding in the world.
2: That's so good. So you have a whole chapter in your book, um, about setting healthy boundaries. So speaking of other, other people in relationships, uh, boundaries where you say that boundaries are not, uh, disrespectful, I think is the, mm-hmm. the phrase that mm-hmm. you use. And I think we struggle with that, like in the church, right? Because yeah. I feel like the church is super good at building walls that are meant to create division. Yes. Like we're right, you're wrong. We're holy. Well, yeah. that kind of thing. But the church is not really good at creating boundaries that are meant to not meant to cut off relationships, but to protect and bring a sense of freedom and health to those relationships. So maybe talk to us a little bit about uh, first of all why are boundaries important for LGBTQ people, and then secondly, what are what might like healthy boundaries look like? And a you know again, every story is different, but you know maybe give us like a, a somewhat uh, blanket idea of what a healthy boundary might look like.
0: Yeah, I think healthy boundaries are so important, and like you said, we're horrible at it (laughs) terrible (laughs) we've never been taught to have healthy boundaries it was very much like you just do what you're told kind of was the underlying message you know like if the pastor says it it must be true and and it never even really developed healthy critical thinking skills or to think for yourself because you were just supposed to do whatever your parents or the pastor or person in authority said was the right thing to do and so for a person trying to set boundaries, then well, you're that's disrespectful to your parents, or disagreeing was disrespectful, or mm. certainly my parents had never seen me set boundaries like the ones I had to start setting when I came out. Mm. That was unheard of. You know, they had never seen that side of me, and it was like, just like, who a are part you of, and
2: what have you done with? Yeah, that water? exactly. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, I think they, I think they literally said those words to me. <laughs> like they thought somebody was feeding me these lines. Like who's feeding you this stuff? And like an earpiece in your you know? ear. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and because they had never seen me do that before mm. and the reality was it was just as hard for me to set those boundaries with them as it was for them to hear me set I them, them yeah. because neither of us were used to a healthy dialogue in that way and to being able to respect the fact that I had um, agency as an individual you know mm. and so that's a very difficult process when you've never been taught how to help have healthy boundaries but I think it's one of the most important ones, especially for LGBT people, because you literally have your mental, emotional, and physical health on the line.
3: Mm.
0: Your life is literally on the line. Yeah. And until you are willing to start um, setting boundaries and standing up and protecting it, you're compromising your health in so many ways. Um, it, it compromises your spiritual health to have people constantly tell you that you're an abomination to God, you know, and that you're going to hell. That is so detrimental for your spiritual health and for who you see God and how that how you relate to God in your life
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: it's so horrible for your mental health and your emotional health I mean I was dealing with so much depression and and self-harm and I was cutting and I was suicidal and I I mean it was just steeped in so Mm -hmm. much shame and guilt um, Mm -hmm. that I, I really believe that the majority of suicides come from from you know either bullying or not being affirmed mm. by your family yeah. you know that if you look at the the suicide statistics from the Trevor project an lgbt person is already or lgb cuz you know being transgender is a whole other sure. um yeah. experience in itself and their suicide rates are absolutely at the highest um but for lgbt people lesbian gay or bisexual youth who attempt or or um who are already four times more likely than their straight peers to attempt suicide. Mm. But if their family rejects them, they're 8.4 times more likely to attempt suicide, not than their straight peer, but by their LGBT peer who was not rejected by their family. Mm. So the rates are astronomical for those who are rejected by their family. And the majority of that rejection comes for religious reasons. And so I think that's partly why it's so important to have affirming community. And I will tell people, because as they try to set boundaries of family and as they try to figure out how to navigate family relationships and conversations, I tell them, you've got to change the balance of how much time you spend in non-affirming spaces, Mm. because The more time you spend in non-affirming spaces, the more you're reiterating those negative tapes in your head that tell you that who you are is not okay and that God Mm -hmm. hates you. And you've got to tip that scale to where the majority of your time is being spent in places that affirm you, in places that celebrate your identity, in places that normalize that. So that that falls to the background and it's not at the forefront of where you are anymore you're not always constantly having to filter or defend or think of the next thing that you're going to have to say to respond to that person's comment it becomes a normal part and when you that can become a normal part of your life it starts feeling very freeing very liberating and just very natural and you stop having to feel like you are always having to defend your existence
3: Mm.
0: and so i think that is the healthiest space Mm. for lgbt people especially that come from conservative faith backgrounds and have had A significant amount of trauma,
3: Hmm.
0: um, in in coming out and grief and loss and those things. Um, That's not to say that we need to silo us ourselves. That's not what I'm saying. But it is a matter of like keeping yourself physically healthy, mentally healthy, emotionally healthy. Um, It's a matter of keeping yourself alive, you know. Hmm. And sometimes that's what we have to do to keep ourselves healthy and to keep ourselves alive. And there's nothing wrong with that. You should not feel guilty about having to set boundaries between you and people that are constantly negating your existence. Mm. Um, That's just a boundary you need to set. And you have to decide where that boundary lies and how much time and how much energy you can spend into trying to navigate those relationships and how much you just need to pull back. And sometimes you just pull back for a season until you feel strong and you feel grounded. And then you can kind of enter back into some of those conversations as you're ready. And sometimes you just have to let go of that relationship for good, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think every person is different. Every situation and relationship is different. But doing what you have to do to make sure that you are strong and healthy and safe is really important.
2: Now, I imagine that the conversation with maybe a family member, maybe parent, or something like that about, you know, like I need to spend more time in places that affirm me and less time in places that don't. And since this maybe family setting is a place that does not affirm me or make me feel good about myself, like I need to limit my time here in these conversations, or whatever. Like I imagine that's a very difficult conversation to have. And so I'm wondering what, what advice do you have for the person who maybe feels like that's the conversation they need to have with their mom and dad? Is it is it best to do this in person? Is it best to do it over the phone, write a letter, or something like that? Like Again, every situation is likely different, but given the experience you have with your own story and also the stories of other people, like what's maybe a tip that you could offer those people?
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, like I said, every situation is different. There's no one right or wrong answer because every family is different. Their dynamics are different. um, Where they are in this process and this journey is different. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Um, For some people, you know, like I came up to my parents in person
3: because
0: I felt like I owed it to them to tell mm. them to their face. Um, in hindsight, I don't know that that was the best choice. Yeah.
3: Um,
0: you know, they would have been, their reaction likely would have been the same regardless of how I handled it. I'm sure if I would have done it in a letter, they would not have been happy that I didn't tell them to their face. Like nothing was going to make them happy, right, you know? Right. Um, but for me, it might have spared me the trauma of reliving that reaction day after mm. day you know, and seeing their reaction in my mind, um, and so sometimes you have to think about not only what's best for the other person, but also what's best for you long term, and sometimes that is writing a letter. Sometimes it's, you know, my, my situation with my family kind of slowly distanced over time, so I came out to them in person. Um, we had some really strained interactions. We, we started talking on the phone. We ended up going to email, like, because I just I felt less and less space being with them in person and for me writing things over email gave me a chance to not quickly react to whatever they said and say Mm -hmm. something I would regret Mm -hmm. it gave me time to think about it to ponder it to to be articulate in what I needed to say and to be able to set boundaries clearly Mm -hmm. and so I think sometimes having just that little bit of space is helpful Um, you know the way even like I think holidays are one of the biggest things that people struggle with and the way everybody handles those are different you know my dad would tell me well amber you're always welcome to come home for the holidays but clara my wife um will never be welcome under our roof and then i said well then i'm not coming you know like you put it in perspective you would never leave mom somewhere at home and right. go for the holidays without her and just leave yeah. her by herself. Like, yeah. it's the exact same thing that you're asking me to do. I'm not going to do that. Hmm. And so I think the important thing about boundaries is remembering that it's not about who wins and who loses. I think we often feel like it's this power struggle
3: yeah. of
0: dynamic of like, well, I have to be the one to win. I have to be the one on top. It's not about who wins and loses because ultimately, like, you know, he set his boundary. I set mine, you know, this is, with the goal was to find a way to spend holidays together, but right, right. what we wanted was drastically different in that. And so he set his boundary, I set mine. The unfortunate reality was we never spent another holiday together again. Mm. So neither of us got what we wanted. Um, so it's not about like who wins and who loses. It's about self-dignity, self-respect, um, not losing yourself in the process because so many of us feel like, I'll just compromise this time, so that I don't rock the boat. Uh, well, I don't want to make them uncomfortable, so I'm not going to bring someone to the home. Or, you know, they called me by my um, my birth name instead of my chosen name, but I'm not going to bring it up this time because I just don't want to make them uncomfortable in front of everybody. And, you know, so we compromise ourselves all the time, um, which then never gives them any reason to change or to to look at their behavior because they're comfortable. They're getting everything they want. You're know, you home for the holidays. They get to see you. You're not rocking the boat. Everything's great. But you're constantly compromising and losing yourself Mm -hmm. and maybe without even realizing it. And so then weeks or months or years go by and suddenly you've lost all these years of time. And yeah, you may have spent time together, but it wasn't quality time because you weren't really seen. You weren't really heard. You weren't really affirmed. You didn't really feel safe. Hmm. And so I think that is one of the important things to think about um, in the midst of when setting boundaries is hard because it's always hard. Nobody likes to set boundaries. It's never comfortable or fun, but to think about how that's going to affect you long-term and what you want as the end result.
2: With that layered on that, I think a really you know, important thing that you said earlier is that the boundary doesn't need to be forever or the boundary doesn't right. need to be set in that way forever. It might just be for a time, Right, the Relationship can become get to a more healthy place, then that boundary might, might change. I think that goes back to our upbringing of the church building walls. Walls are permanent, they're cemented right. in place, and that's it. But a boundary has more flexibility, I guess, to move and to change and to evolve.
0: Right. And you may set this boundary and say, Well, I am going to be here um, as long as you respect the fact that this is my partner right. and my wife, and you don't introduce them as my friend or say anything derogatory, and if you do, we will leave, you know, and, and, and following through with that, um, to where if they don't respect whatever that boundary is that you set, that you do leave, and they realize that this is important to you, and that it's serious, and then you can decide whether you're going to try that again, or whether you pull back, you Mm -hmm. know, a layer, and wait until they're willing to respect that, and then you slowly make these steps forward, and Mm -hmm. it's just, it's a, it's a delicate balance, um, but, you ultimately need to be able to to take care of yourself and sure. i think we're always so trained that we have to worry about other people and their feelings and that's always more important than ours and we shouldn't ever trust our own voice our own gut our own inner feelings because feelings are deceptive and we just need to listen to the people of authority and our you know right. but you really like you need to listen to that gut in your in your belly because that is often Um, the Holy Spirit, you know, and and that is where you can find your grounding. And that is where um, you find your worth. And and that is important to be able to be healthy as an LGBTQ person in the world.
2: Mm. Um, One last question for you. At the end of every chapter, you um, have a section where you write something to um, parents and to um, allies of LGBTQ people. And so I'm wondering if you could talk to that group of people for a moment, specifically the parents, like, what might their child, maybe they're a teenager, maybe younger, maybe maybe older, but what might their child need to hear from them that they don't even know maybe that the, maybe the child doesn't even know like what it is that they need, doesn't even have words for it, maybe they do have words, but they're they're afraid they're ashamed to talk about it like what 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 does a child need from their parent?
0: I think the most important thing is for that child to know that their parent loves them unconditionally yeah. that they totally affirm and celebrate their LGBTQIA plus identity, wherever that falls on the spectrum Mm -hmm. so that they are completely loved. They are completely accepted and celebrated and affirmed um, no matter what, like that, that has no play in, in their love for that child. um, That has no play in God's love for that child and emphasizing those messages at home Um, and then seeing them live that out uh, in, because, Often you know their parent your the parents of that child may have family that doesn't agree as well or yeah. that may need to have boundaries set mm-hmm. or perhaps at school or at church and so seeing the parents live that out and fight for their child in those situations and stand up for their child and set boundaries for their child and seeing that that the child will know that the parent is on their side Mm -hmm. and that will set them up for the greatest success that they could possibly have. Just knowing that their parent is on their side, no matter what I think makes the biggest difference um, for people as opposed to not having that home where they can feel safe. Um, It it will drastically reduce their, their um, possibility for suicide for Um, other risky behaviors for you know like just having that safe place at home to be themselves to be able to um, figure out what it means to be trans and and to go through that process as a family or to be able to bring um, a a partner home and be able to introduce them to the family and know that there's not going to be any tension there and that it's just going to be normal like you know, their siblings. And, and having that, I think is the biggest thing that they can, the biggest gift they can possibly give their child, mm. because it sets them up to know that regardless of how other people in the world treat me, I am safe at home with my family. Mm. And that, um, that is, I think, the biggest success you could have as a parent.
2: Mm. I think it's just something interesting, too, is that if the child sees the, the parent set boundaries, what a healthy thing that can be for the child, and I would think that if the child sees mom or dad set a boundary that, hey, you can't talk to or about my child in this way, that the child will then maybe feel a little bit more courageous to make his or her own boundaries himself. somewhere yep. down the road. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. You have like that model in your life.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. and to know that they, <clears throat> excuse me, know that they have your back.
2: Yeah. Uh, right. I think
0: is incredibly powerful, um, regardless of how old you are when you come out. So many of us live with that fear for so many years, you know, so regardless of how old you are, when you come out to know that your parents have your back, I think is one of the most powerful gifts um, a parent can give their child.
2: So good. Amber, we are just about out of time, uh, but I thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk to me about this uh, very important topic. I always learn a lot when I talk to you and read your stuff. So thank you.
0: It's an honor. Always an honor.
2: Thank you so much. And uh, we'll do it again soon. Hopefully when quarantine days are over.
0: (laughs) Sounds great. All right, Thanks Amber, you so take much, care. No,
2: thank All you. All right, you too. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's wrap.
1: One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, black fish, one no fish, old fish, new fish. This one has a little star. This one has a little car. See, what a lot of fish there are. Yes, some are red and some are blue. Some are old and some are new. Some are sad and some are glad and some are very, very bad. There must be something there, I fear, say, hey, look, a bird is in your ear, but he is out, so have no fear, again, your ear can hear, my dear, my- flip side guys